0: open your Bibles, please, to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, chapter 17. Again, welcome to Cornerstone, and I think the children have gone out to Sunday school. We also have a, a creche available downstairs for, for parents who like to take their little ones down to creche at any point, and we are, we're doing our best to, to try to get the, the sermon going down in the crash there, so hopefully that, that will be working. If it isn't, then we'll, we'll get the deacons onto that. We're continuing our series today on walking arm-in-arm with Jesus through all of life, and today we're looking in particular at walking arm-in-arm with Jesus in friendship, in our friendships. Now, In the United Kingdom, believe it or not, they have now appointed a government minister to to tackle the problem of loneliness. A government minister has now been given the job of tackling loneliness. And this came after a a report that found that 9 million people in England, that's one out of seven, often or always feel lonely. And the same report found that 85% of young disabled people feel lonely that more than one in three people over the age of 50 feel lonely and that 200,000 seniors, they found, had not conversed with a friend or relative for more than a month. So this is a big problem. In fact, psychology today says that friendship is like food. We have a basic drive for it and we need it to survive. And a recent University of Chicago study found that loneliness doesn't just feel awful; it's also bad for our health. There's a strong link between loneliness and depression and alcoholism. Loneliness raises the levels of stress hormones, our blood pressure, and this makes it makes our hearts work harder and it damages our circulation. Lonely people perceive higher levels of stress, even when they're exposed to the same stresses as non-lonely people, even when they're relaxing, and loneliness damages the quality and efficiency of our sleep. Our sleep becomes less restorative physically and psychologically, and lonely people wake up more at night. Doctors have confided that they provide better care for patients who have supportive friends and family. Doctors have confided that when people are are lonely, they don't tend to provide as as good, as great a care as they do for those who have a supportive network. Now, loneliness is, it it feels awful, it's uh, bad for our health, and it is on the rise. Loneliness is on the rise. Why is that? There's a number of reasons We could talk about digitization. So I remember in the early 80s how excited I was when ATMs began to appear in the the, uh, shopping centers and you could, instead of having to go into the bank, you could just go to this machine to get your money out or to put your money in. And this automization has obviously been replicated across many, many areas of society. So now when we pick up the phone to call an organisation or a business, do we get a person? Rarely do we get a person on the other end. Um, There is now automatic checkouts at our supermarkets, which I find awful. I don't know about you, but I like to to have a person there, but now it's auto checkouts. It's auto check-in. At the airport, you no longer have to speak to airport staff. It's all automated. Uh, our videos, we don't have to go to the video store to get a video. Uh, young people, a video is what we used to watch films on. And now it's all Netflix. It's all automated. Uh, even the, the coffee shop that I like this, this way, the coffee shop I like to go to on Elizabeth Street, I, I now no longer have to talk to anyone to get my coffee if I, if I don't want to. I can just use an app, press a button, it's all paid for. I turn up at the right time, pick up my coffee and leave, and I don't even have to talk to the barista. Go and... shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't use this, but they're giving me this option. And, I, and again, I think it's, a, it's awful. And uh, all of this means that there is less human interaction and this actually raises the levels of loneliness in our society. Marriage breakdown, of course, has been a big contributor to loneliness. Husbands, wives, and children, um, the breakdown of family, and often the effects of that are intergenerational. And social media is supercharging loneliness. A study conducted by the University of Pittsburgh found that those who visit Facebook, Snapchat, Insta, Reddit, I don't know what Reddit is, but maybe you know, but those who visit these kinds of sites more than 58 times a week are three times more likely to feel lonely than those who visit such sites less than nine times a week. So those who use social media more are more likely to feel lonely. And researchers can't decide whether people go to social media because they're feeling lonely or going to social media makes, makes them lonely, but uh, it's almost certainly a vicious circle. So lonely people try to alleviate their loneliness by using social media, but that's actually making the problem worse. But at the heart of it, at the heart of it is just a growing inability to be able to make and to keep healthy, genuine friendships. That's why there's so much loneliness. It's because we are losing the ability to make and to keep healthy friendships. We need friends. Our city needs friends. Do you want to know how to be a friend? Do you want to know how to be a better friend for those who are lonely? Well, in the book of Proverbs, Jesus takes us arm in arm, as we saw last week, And he shows us the way to be a good friend to others. First of all, we see that Jesus tells us what a good friend is. And we see that in Proverbs 17, verse 17. Here is what a good friend is. Or I could take off that that adjective. I could say, this is what a friend is, full stop. A friend... The Bible tells us, loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. And a brother or sister is born for a time of adversity. That means that when we distance ourselves from those who are in pain... When we distance ourselves from those who are in trouble, we are not being a friend, the Bible says. We are not being a friend at that point. A fair-weather friend is not a friend at all. Because a friend loves at all times, our Lord says. And a brother is born for adversity, A sister is born for distress. In other words, in a crisis, a true friend then plays the part that they were born to play. It's as though God has brought brought you into into this world, into this situation, to help a friend in need. This is the part that you were born to play. Proverbs has a lot more to teach us about what it means to be a friend. It teaches us that we should carefully choose our friends. In Proverbs 12, verse 26, we read that a righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And Proverbs 13, verse 20 says that he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So Proverbs tells us that we should be careful in our choice of friendship. We want to have friends that are good for us and for whom we are good for. In fact, if, 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 if someone is a bad influence on you, then it's 100% certain that you are a bad influence on them as well because you are really just confirming them in their ways. And Proverbs tells us that the wise person will choose friends who are godly, wise, and who will be a good influence upon them. And Proverbs teaches us that it's best to have one or two good friends, one or two real friends, than lots of people You know, on Facebook, you might have a thousand friends. But Proverbs says that we need one or two close friends. And we see that in chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You can be surrounded by a crowd of people who call themselves your friend but what you really need is that one person or those two people who are going to be that, that true friend who will love you at all times, and that you will love at all times. Those one or two people born for that time of adversity in your life. And Proverbs teaches us, and this is very confronting, that true friends, true friends will rebuke each other. True friends will correct each other. Proverbs 27, verse 5. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. I hope, I hope Raph doesn't mind me telling this, this anecdote. We've, we've had a laugh about this for many years. It was about uh, 2004, about 15, 14, 15 years ago, that we visited Tasmania for the first time and we stayed with our best friends, the Muggerages, for three weeks. And at the end of uh, our three weeks, Raph took me out for um, uh, brunch, I think it was, down in Sandy Bay, and he sat me down and he said to me, Campbell what are you going to do about Fletcher? What are you going to do about Fletcher? Now, at this point, you should be laughing, because we all know Fletcher, and uh, Fletcher at the time was was just over two, and uh, I, I, I was genuinely um, nonplussed. I, I, what do you mean? What am I supposed to do with Fletcher? What am I going to do with him? What's, what's the matter with him? And I, I couldn't quite tell, but um, Raph and Melanie were, were very diligent parents. We were always in awe of their, their parenting. And in fact, if you are parents, you want to do yourself a favour and, and go to the parenting course that they're running. And, and perhaps my, my best friend Raph could see some, some things in Fletcher that were going in the wrong direction. And he was being a true friend. I mean, he could have just said nothing. He might have been wrong... But he thought he could see something, and he was being a true friend. And he said, what are you going to do about this? And I bring up this, this anecdote because I think this is what Proverbs is talking about. A true friend will do this. A true friend will bring things up, hard things, difficult things. They will say the hard things that need to be said, and it's, it's awkward, It can be horrible to to raise these sorts of things in conversation. But Proverbs says that wounds from a friend can be trusted. It's the enemy who multiplies kisses. It's the enemy that, that loves all over you and just confirms you in your wrong ways. A friend will raise something that they think needs to be raised. Proverbs 27 verse 9. Perfume and incense... Bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Do you hear that? The pleasantness of one's friend springs from their earnest counsel. And Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This is what true friends do. They speak up. They raise the hard things that need to be raised. They rebuke where necessary. And I thank God that He has brought faithful friends into my life who have had the courage, moreover, who have had the love to say the hard thing to me that needed to be said at the time. I thank God for those people. And if I had taken offence every time a good friend had said what needed to be said to me, then shame on me. I'd be a fool not to listen to a loving friend and to listen to the hard advice that they need to give. Good friends will have hard conversations. And this is something we are very bad at doing, I think, And it's something we need to learn to do, especially in the church. We need to learn to have, we need to be able to have the courage to to say what needs to be said with love, in love, kindly, gently. And we need to have the wisdom and the maturity to listen when a friend brings up something difficult with us. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So Proverbs has a lot to say about friendship, but above all, it teaches us that a friend loves when? At all times, and a brother, a sister, is born for adversity. Not only does the Bible define friendship for us, It also gives us a picture of one of the most beautiful friendships we have seen, and that is the friendship between David and Jonathan. Let me read to you the account of David and Jonathan meeting for the first time, and we see this at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is, of course, just after David has killed Goliath. We read that as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. It's a nice detail, isn't it? (laughs) Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David And he loved him as himself. That's the beginning of their friendship. Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him, did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. He made a solemn promise to stick with David To be that friend who loves at all times. To be that brother born for a time of adversity. And we read that not only did Jonathan love David, but he could see that God's hand was upon David. He could see that David was going to be the anointed king of Israel. And we read that Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, the royal robe of the crown prince of Israel, and he gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. These were the signs of his office. These were the the items of clothing and the equipment that set him apart as the crown prince of Israel. And so Jonathan loved David so much that he even abdicated the throne of Israel to him. And then we read, just three chapters later, of the last meeting between David and Jonathan. When they knew that they would never see each other again, we read that David got up and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground and then they kissed each other and they wept together but David wept the most. I never know why it says that. David wept the most. Someone can help me understand that. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And so we see at the parting of David and Jonathan, they hugged, they kissed, they wept together. And then when David learned that Jonathan had been killed in battle, this is the song that he composed for his friend. It's called The Song of the Bow. It's in 2 Samuel, chapter 1. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. Now some people, well, can I, can I um, guess that everyone is feeling a little uncomfortable with the friendship between David and Jonathan? Because here are two men who, who covenanted, pledged to be friends for life in times of adversity. They were, they were comfortable in hugging each other. They were comfortable kissing one another. They wept together. And then when Jonathan died, David said, Your love was very pleasant, surpassing the love of women, David said. Makes me feel uncomfortable. I think it's probably making us all feel uncomfortable. Why are we feeling uncomfortable? Well some some say, oh well there, there, there must be something homosexual going on here. But that's that's totally wrong. And if people jump to that conclusion, it's because they don't understand real friendship. They don't understand what a true friendship can be between two men and between two women. We live in this highly sexualised society where now two men can't have a, a deep, loving, intimate relationship without people looking on and expecting it to have a sexual aspect to it. And we live in a society where two women can't have a deep, intimate relationship affectionate relationship, without society expecting that there is some kind of sexual aspect to it. So if we are struggling and feel uncomfortable with the closeness and the intimacy of David and Jonathan, what's that telling us? It's telling us that we have lost the art of friendship, that we don't know how to be friends like David and Jonathan were friends. But this is the kind of friendship that is portrayed to us in the Bible as the ultimate of friendships. David and Jonathan, who loved each other at all times and who were brothers born for a time of adversity. Now, I've said that David and Jonathan were the ultimate of friends, but I wasn't quite right, was I? Because I'm now going to finish by talking about Jesus himself and his friendship of whom. The Bible says that Jesus is a friend for whom? A friend for sinners. In Matthew 11, we read that people were saying this about Jesus. He is a glutton and a drunkard, they said, and a friend of tax collectors, a friend of sinners. And that was the accusation brought against Jesus. Shame on you, Jesus, because you befriend sinners. You befriend tax collectors, the traitors of Israel. But this is telling us that Jesus Christ himself Is the true and ultimate friend, and the friend that I need, and the friend that you need. And in John 13, in that passage that Andrew just read to us, we see the same kind of physical affection between Jesus and a sinner that we saw between David and Jonathan. In John 13, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, looking around at the table at the 12 disciples. One of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's this talking about? It's talking about John. Five times he is described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he was reclining next to Jesus. By the way, those pictures of the Last Supper, where all, they're all seated at a table. Tables weren't invented in Israel at that time. So, well, they might have been, but they didn't use them. When you ate, how did you, how did you eat? You lay down. So here's the food. You lie down, you, you prop yourself up on your left elbow, and you reach in and you take the food. And so Jesus is lying here, And who's lying next to him? John is lying here. The disciple whom Jesus loved, lying on their sides, side by side, at the meal, I was going to say the meal table, but on the floor. And so we read that John was reclining next to Jesus and Simon Peter motioned to John and said, John, ask Jesus which one he means. Which one is it that's going to to betray? Ask him. And then we read that John leant back against Jesus' chest and he asked him, Lord, who is it? Now, just put aside the significance of that conversation for a moment and just look at the body language of Jesus lying and then John next to him and then John leaning his head back on Jesus' chest to ask him a question. It's a beautiful picture of physical intimacy between two friends. Two friends who loved each other, who had affection for one another. And so that same kind of affection and intimacy that we saw between David and Jonathan, Jesus showed that For John, a sinful man. When it says that Jesus is a friend of sinners, it doesn't just mean that Jesus has done his best for sinful people, although he has. It doesn't just mean that Jesus died for sinful people, though it does mean that as well. It also means he has genuine love and affection for sinful people. The kind of affection, that beautiful affection that we see between our Lord and the beloved disciple. Jesus is that friend that I need and that you need, whose wounds can be trusted. Remember, the wounds of a faithful friend can be trusted? The hard words that need to be said? Well, the words of Jesus are the words of a close friend that can be trusted. He is that friend who loves at all times. He is that friend who was born for a time of adversity. And Jesus was born for a time of adversity. He was born to die for me, for you, to bear our sin to be buried, to rise to life, to give us new life. He was born for that time of adversity that his friends would face, the judgment of God for their sins. Jesus took that upon himself, a true friend. And Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. Remember Moses, and after the golden calf fiasco, the debauchery of the the people of Israel with the golden calf when Moses was on the mountain and and God said, I'm going to come down in judgment upon the people. What did Moses say? Lord, don't do it. Blot me out of your book of life, he said. And remember Paul in Romans chapter 11, when he said, if it's at all possible, I wish that I could perish, he said, instead of the nation of Israel. Well, Moses wasn't able to die instead of the people. Paul wasn't able to die in the state of Israel. But Jesus could and did die for his friends. You and I, who needed a saviour to bear our sin and to make us right with God. And that's why we sing that beautiful hymn. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. That's a beautiful hymn, isn't it? What a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me, he, my saviour, makes me whole. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. And so I finish this morning by saying that in this time when friendship is collapsing in our community and in this time of increasing loneliness, people need friends. Friends. And first of all, they need the friendship of Jesus Christ. The friend who loves at all times. The friend who was born for a time of adversity. The friend whose wounds can be trusted. And brothers and sisters, we are the body of Christ. And the spirit of Jesus is among us. And we bring the presence of Christ to a lonely and lost community. Let us bring the loving friendship and presence of Christ to the men and women, boys and girls, who are lost and lonely. Will we befriend others? As Jesus has befriended us. That's why Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So let's extend the friendly hand of Jesus to those outside of our church. It's great to have a mission team here this morning. And it's Naomi's second last Sunday with us before she goes out for mission training. It's a good reminder to us that we are to be a missional church, extending the friendly hand of Jesus to those outside of these four walls. So let's get off social media. What do you think? What do you think? You know, I read a a review of a restaurant in the paper yesterday. They won't let you take your mobile phone into this restaurant. If you want to eat at this restaurant, you've got to leave your phone in a locked box at the door. And they said that um, 70% of people are are relieved to do that. And 10% of people need to be talked into it. And 20% of people outright refuse. give up their phone. They can't sit down for a meal without giving up their phone. But let's give up on social let's get off Facebook and let's get face to face, right? Off Facebook, face to face, because social media is making us more lonely. It's weakening the bonds of society. It's making people more isolated. So let's get face to face, let's open our homes, open our diaries, to give people our energy, a listening ear, to bring practical help to people who are hurting. Let us, Cornerstone and our friends here this morning, be like Jesus, the friend who loves at all times, let us be that brother or sister who was born for a time of adversity Let me pray. Father, we first of all confess our failings and we confess uh, that we are not friends like Jesus. We uh, do give up on people when they're hurting. And we're very self-protective. And Lord, very often we're unwilling to give our our time, our energy to others. Uh, Lord God, please fill us with the spirit of Jesus and help us to befriend others as he has befriended us. And Lord, we pray for the the, the lonely within our own congregation. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to to be much more loving to each other. Uh, Lord, please forbid that there be anyone lonely in this church. What a disgrace that would be. Uh, help us, Lord, to be good friends to one another. And uh, Father, we, we pray that you'll help us to take the, the friendship of Christ to the lost and lonely in our community and to all who need to know the friend of sinners. And we pray in his name. Amen.